In the Lab, a Texans podcast that takes a different look at things. Drew Doherty and John Harris have their lab coats and goggles on and the Bunsen burners burning. Here's Drew. The Senior Bowl is in the rearview mirror. D'Amico Ryans is the Texans head coach and in the lab is in your face. Drew Doherty, John Harris, good to be with you. John, how are you? In your face. Yes. Doing well. How you doing? I'm great, man. It's been fun chit-chatting with you about the Senior Bowl and all the stuff you've done over the last few days with it. And um, like over the last few days, you and I have chatted yeah. about the Senior Bowl. Yeah. You haven't done anything with the Senior Bowl the last few days. We've had that. I edited all your posts that you sent in from the Senior Bowl. So I kind of feel like I know a little bit more than most people who weren't there. Yeah. But we're going to chit-chat a little bit about that in a moment. But back to D'Amico Ryans. You and I talked all about how excited we were for him to be the head coach last week, and we still are excited, and we can't wait. Phenomenal hire, home run hire, touchdown hire, whatever you want to say. Just so much fun. But I want to start at the start, D'Amico Ryans. Okay. We each have our very first memory of him. I'm kind of springing this on you, so I'll go first and let you ruminate a little bit while, while I talk. But in 2005... July of that year, I moved out to Lubbock, Texas. I was the sports anchor at the Fox affiliate. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, I hosted Mike Leach's TV show. And the Red Raiders, they had a darn good football team that year. They lost to Texas after starting like 4-5-0. or five and oh, And then they were rolling. They go up to Stillwater with, I think, like seven or eight wins. And they should have beat the, the Pokes. But, yep. You know, that's kind of like the Bermuda Triangle sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Their stadium is, you know, yeah. most stadiums face one way and theirs faces the other and it's sunken. And Oklahoma State got them. And so they go, the, the Red Raiders, they go to the Cotton Bowl at 9-2. and two, Yep. And, um, or maybe, yeah, 9-2. and two, And they face Alabama. Well, D'Amico Ryans in Alabama, they were undefeated into November. And they were a top five team. And then... They stumbled. They lost to Auburn. They lost to LSU. But they go to the Cotton Bowl. It was a good matchup. A couple, couple like nine win teams. D'Amico Ryan's was the 2005 SEC Defensive Player of the Year. But I was focused mainly on tech. And you get to a bowl week, and there's all sorts of stuff going on each day. So like the game was January 2nd, because January 1st I believe was a, a Sunday that year. So they played it on a Monday, and we got there I think you know Monday or Tuesday before, and on Thursday, Friday around then. Up in Las Colinas at one of those hotels where the media, the Big 12 media headquarters was, mm-hmm. they had a ballroom for an hour. And they had about 10 players from each team do one hour. Yep. Uh, so I think Tech went first and then Bama went second or vice versa. But D'Amico Ryans was one of those players. It was him. It was a guy named Charlie Pepra. Yep. Uh, it was a guy, Safety. Roman Harper, who played in Safety. the NFL yep. for a while. Mark Anderson, he was a Houston Texan, had sacks with this team. He was a really good Chicago Bear. That defense was loaded. But the marquee player on it, and the first guy I ever met, and first time I remember meeting him, was D'Amico Ryans. And what it was, you had this hour, so each player was at a table with a a nameplate in front Mm -hmm. of them. So you could kind of go up and get one-on-one time if necessary. I got my one-on-one time and spent probably about four, five, ten minutes talking with him, and he was really... Interesting. I knew just kind of, I did a quick rundown on who he was beforehand. It's like, oh, sure. this guy's like basically their best player. Right. And he was really, really sharp. I was struck by how smart he was, the stuff he was saying. And he kept emphasizing, he's like, we don't need to blitz. We're not going to blitz. We don't have to blitz these guys. Our front seven's good enough. We don't need to blitz. 
So I, that's what I took away. Hey, these guys aren't going to blitz. And then they wound up blitzing. <laughs> and they, they shut down that off. They shut down that offense. I mean, it took till like the last three or four minutes of the game until they got in the end zone. Right, right. And they wind up tying it, the Red Raiders do, and it was 10-10. But then Bama kicks the field goal to win it at the end. But D'Amico Ryans, after saying, hey, I'm not going to blitz, I'm not going to blitz, gets a sack and a half in that game. And one of those sacks, it looked like he had been shot out of a cannon. Was that the one where Hodges just gets absolutely blasted? Rocked. Yeah. And it was D'Amico rocking him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, D'Amico was the best player on that field that day. Sure. And Clearly. It, and I, I was just I was a huge fan of his. And then when the Texans took him first pick of the second round, I was I was pumped. So that's my first memory of D'Amico. What's yours? Oh six. Okay. So uh, yeah, March of 06. So, so mine were the, the waning days of 05, right before the new year, mm -hmm. and then January 2nd, the first day after the new year. So 06, get ready for the draft. And I still, it was interesting because it was about four or five months after that draft that John Granado called me and said, hey, we're starting radio station. You're coming, right? Mm -hmm. I was like, uh, I guess so. And so... Um, I didn't know that at the time. I knew that in 06 that I was, you know, I was looking. And Granada was always, you know, helpful, as was, you know, my buddy Lance Airliner. He's been so incredibly helpful. Yep. And so I didn't think it would be back in Houston. But I always wanted to be as, I don't know, I wanted to do more than anybody out there that made sense. And so I decided for the 2006 NFL draft, I would do a live blog. I don't know how I did it. In fact, I was trying to find it, but I was able to find it for years. Um, I, I, can't, I can't find it. Uh, I'm sure it's out there somewhere, but I did a live blog. And so going into that, I knew, okay, I mean, doing draft stuff, I got to you know, be on, on top of things. And so I remember studying D'Amico at Alabama and wondering, God dang, it feels like he knows where the ball's going every play. It mm -hmm. felt like... Why does he see this so fast? Like, how is he getting there from point A to point B? And then, of course, you watch that Cotton Bowl, and you're like, God dang, he's physical. Like, he's got, he's got that package. And so I expected him to be a first-rounder. And back in 06, when he was drafted, the draft was different. You had rounds one, two, and three on Saturday, yeah. if I remember started correctly. started Saturday morning, like 10 right. yeah. in the morning. Yeah, it had to, because uh, it would go all day, man. Yeah. That was a marathon. And then you had... Sunday was, I think, four through seven. Yeah. So I had told my wife, like, look, I'm just watching a draft and I'm blogging about it. And, you know, there would be some players that I would just, you know, drop something in. You know, maybe I wasn't totally up on that guy because it wasn't my occupation totally at that point. So I might, okay, this guy, that guy. So there were probably about 10 to 15 guys I was like, eh, I'm not totally sure about this guy. I'll just see if I can find something to put on but about D'Amico, I thought he was going to be a first-round pick. And so as the draft is going on, and, you know, of course, that was the Mario draft. So that Friday night, we had found out that Mario was going to be that pick. I'll never forget, I was driving for some reason around Elon College. And I found out, I was like, I almost drove to a ditch. I'm like, I've been playing for Reggie Bush this whole time. And they got Mario Williams. And so D'Amico does not get drafted. But it's not registering, like, who's still on the board. It's just like, okay, I'm because I'm flying through this block trying to get caught up with picks and just going crazy with it. And the Texans take D'Amico at the top of the second round. I just remember stepping back in my computer going, oh, ooh, ooh. I 
like this. I remember writing, they must believe defense wins championships. And I probably said something about Peyton Manning and needing to have. And I actually said, if I remember right, that I thought that Ryan's might ultimately be a better pick than Mario Williams. And he was. And it it actually sort of turned out that way. Now, Mario Mario had a, had a good career. Mario mm-hmm. was the number one pick. He was the right pick, number one pick. But I just remember studying D'Amico that spring and watching him and wondering how in the heck does he know where the ball is going so often. And, and then you see him become a coach and you see how well respected he is. And obviously you talk to players and saw it up close here with – you know, with the with the Texans once I got here in two thousand seven. It's the most unsurprising surprise that he's the Texans head coach. Yeah, you're exactly right. Unsurprising that he's a head coach, but surprising that the Texans were able to pull it off. Yeah. You know? And and he was such a I mean, he was a great player at Alabama. Yeah. And he he always wore thirty five. I always wish he could have worn that number here with the Texans, but because um, fifty nine, it always felt like, man, I think it plays plays tricks on you. Mark always talks about that with you know, defensive lineman now in the NFL that can wear a single digit number. It always yeah. kind of kind of plays with your mind a little bit. I always felt like, eh, maybe he's not as fast. I'm like, no, no, he's just wearing fifty nine. So See, now just, it plays tricks looks- on me seeing Kenyon Green in fifty nine <laughs> after seeing Whitney and then <laughs> D'Amico before him. And, exactly, yeah. exactly. But that was kind of my first my first introduction to him at that point. I've never met him. I haven't had a chance to meet him, even though when I when I was doing uh, radio here uh, while he was playing here, I was not kind of reporter ish and so i was more you know i analyst like i am and so i didn't spend a lot of time talking to to players um didn't have a lot of time to go through locker room and do all that kind of stuff because i was actually on the air um but it was one of my regrets i didn't get a chance to at least know him or pick his brain a little bit and hopefully now i'll be able to do that many many years later now both of us in the building so i'm looking forward to that but to me it was always it was always this football IQ that stood out. Like, dang, that dude is smart. How does he see it? How is he seeing this? And, and here's one other thing, thing Drew. I, I, I thought about this over the weekend because I was thinking about Tony Romo. And I saw that there was an article about how they went down to Dallas and there was some sort of intervention or whatever. And I, and I remember saying to somebody that when players get away from the game – it's difficult years after the fact to go back and talk about the game if they're not staying up on it. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that I, I do constantly. I am constantly looking at what teams are doing scheme-wise, how they're changing things up. Now, D'Amico's coaching, but you could tell that he was seemingly always ahead of the curve when it came to understanding what new offenses are doing in the league. Mm-hmm. How do you combat that? What can you do? How are the different ways you can go about that? And I feel like that football IQ has just evolved as he's become a coach. But it's also the creativity and innovation that you need to take on these new offenses. And I thought about that with Tony Romo because when Tony Romo came out, boy, he he knew every play that was coming. He knew how it was going to happen. And now you look at it and go, well, he doesn't really seemingly know how it's going down or what's happening. And I feel like that's got to come with constant, constant study and understanding. So it's one thing to have a football IQ, but it's another thing to go deeper and deeper into it. And, of course, like I said, D'Amico's a coach, but you see some of the unique and innovative things that he's doing to try and combat those offenses. And I think that's what's going to be fun for this organization 
in time, once the right pieces are definitely in place, to see how that innovation allows them to get better. And that's going to come from D'Amico Ryan. So that's going to be really fun. Yeah. One last thing about D'Amico. Okay. Based off of everything you just said about his acumen, his ability to lead, what he did in San Francisco, if you rename him John Johansson and yep. he never played for the Texans, he had no connection to the city, but you still hired John Johansson yep. as the new head coach based off of what he's done as an assistant, home run hire. Yeah, okay? I think. Okay, and then, yeah. and then conversely, if you're just hiring D'Amico and he's not had the success as a coach since leaving, but everyone remembers who he was as a player, but right. he's been like solid as a coach. It's still kind of a – it's not as much of a home run hire, but it's still a, a well-received hire. Yeah, I think you so. You marry those two aspects. Right. It, that's why That's why everyone's so really, – yeah. You really you – know, everyone's – that's why you see this enthusiasm. It's funny because I got asked by people – and I can't remember. Somebody asked me this, and I, I, I didn't even bat an eye. They said, would you – and I don't even know if it was – I think it may have been Landry, uh, Landry Locker I was listening to, and Landry and John were talking about it, and – they were just kind of point-counterpoint sort of thing. They weren't getting nasty about it. They were just asking, would you still want D'Amico Ryans to be the head coach if he hadn't played for the Texans? And I remember thinking, yes, because you, first of all, see his leadership skills. You see his excitement for the game and for the players. See the results. You see how he counsels players on the sidelines. You see how his defenses play with discipline and get after it and play physical like all those things you want to see in a coach so I think if I'm being brutally honest I think the last thing is the fact that for me is the fact that he was a Texan mm -hmm. that's the last thing because everything else that I see from him is exactly what I'd want for my head coach and that filters through a coaching staff so that's the last thing oh yeah by the way he's also beloved by the people now I know I don't I know there are other people that may think differently, like, hey, being a Texan really mattered, and he's coming from an era that was really good for the Texans. I think that's kind of the last thing to me mm -hmm. because I think all those other things will make him a better head coach, will make him a better head coach for these players and for this organization at this time. No doubt. Okay, uh, you were in Mobile, and normally last week's in the lab and this week's in the lab would totally center around what you saw and what you experienced and your thoughts on guys. So let's dive into that a little bit. Okay. But before we do, mock draft roundup number two Ooh. is coming out. And nice. if you don't know what a mock draft roundup is, well, mock drafts are on the web now. And uh, lots of folks have them. Last week, yeah. there were about 13 mock drafts. And I'm saying folks who kind of have a following, folks who've been in the business and done this and uh, kind of like anybody can put together a mock draft. You and yeah, I do yeah, mock yeah. drafts all the time. Yeah. Um, and hey, we could probably fall into this category where they'd be used, but anybody can do a mock draft. So we're not putting up every single, every Tom, Dick, and Harry's mock draft out <laughs> right, there. Right. So last week we had about 13. And then with uh, the Senior Bowl finishing up, more people are putting out mock drafts. Sure. So this week we're up to about 25, 26. Here's a tease. Over two thirds of the mock drafts that we kind of looked at have the Texans taking Bryce Young second overall. The quarterback from Alabama, the Heisman Trophy winner a year ago. He's the pick at two overall in most mock drafts. No huge surprise there. That's the same for you. Your mock draft, which is included. That's correct. Has the Texans going with Bryce Young. Correct. 
Now, at 12, that's where it gets interesting. There's mm-hmm. lots and lots of different names out there. Yes. Last week, or two weeks ago when this came out, Quentin Johnston, the TCU receiver, he was the most mocked player to the Texans at 12th overall. Correct. He's still got a lot of uh, attention, and a lot of folks think he's going to be the guy. But over a third of the mock drafts that I looked at and compiled that's coming out today, over a third of them have the USC receiver, Jordan oh. Addison, being the Fight most on, mocked baby. player. Fight on. So quarterback, wide receiver, the combo. Now, that's not who you had. That is not who I had. You threw a big curveball. It's a name I haven't seen mm-hmm. mocked to the Texans in the first round at all. And I don't know that I've seen anybody mock this guy to Houston. Nope. But coming to H-Town, if John Harris is picking out of Georgia Tech through Old Dominion before yep. the the, the uh, alma mater of Nancy Lieberman and Justin Verlander. Oh, yeah. Talking about Keon White, a yeah. dude who you saw and you were really, really, really impressed with in Mobile last week. Tell us what they've won, Johnny. Who Here's, is Keon White? Here's I'll tell you this and then give you the rest. My player comp. So I went to went to senior bowl, obviously, mm-hmm. and he's hard to miss. I remember wa- seeing him walk on the field, and I was very curious about him. Uh, I think I'd watched a couple of Georgia Tech games, and it was not where I was studying every single play, but I'm watching Georgia Tech, and I'm hearing his name as I'm working on other things. And so I knew he was intriguing. So I just, all right, I'm going to see him at the Senior Bowl. This will be kind of my, um, my initial in-person view of him. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, dang, six four, five eight, almost six five, two hundred eighty pounds. Two hundred eighty. Two eight zero, and moved like he was two forty. Holy cow! And I watched him throughout the week, and I don't. I, I, it was not an A plus Senior Bowl performance. He bounced. They would they would play him inside a little bit when he would rush from there, but man, you could see the traits. You can see those traits flash, and I just as I'm as I'm watching, I wrote down his comp is Trayvon Walker from the Jaguars. Wow! Now Walker ended up going number one, and Walker was an elite athlete. I mean, his athletic traits are off the chart, but the exact way that Georgia used Walker was the exact way that Keon White was used at Georgia Tech, and I think that Keon Walker albeit maybe not the freakazoid athlete that Trayvon Walker is and why Keon White I don't think will be number one pick in this draft. But I do think that Keon White has every attribute and I think is a better and cleaner football prospect than maybe Trayvon Walker is. And so that was the comp that came to mind as I watched him, especially how he's used and where Keon White won. He won inside. There's a rep against, there's a play against North Carolina where he beat a double team, and it, it's sick. I watched it 20 times. I'm like, wow, holy cow. And he's he can drop off in coverage just like Trayvon Walker. I mean, everything I watched, I'm like, that's Trayvon. That's exactly how George used Trayvon Walker. And like I said, I don't think White's going to be as freaky. I mean, Trayvon Walker ran like 4-5-1 or something in the 40. I mean, that's scary freaky. Mm-hmm. So I don't think Keon Walker is that, but – this is going to be an edge player draft, and I think there's going to be a run on them. I think that Will Anderson Jr., I think Tyree Wilson, uh, Miles Murphy from out of Clemson, 
and I think Keon White is absolutely right in that mix uh, as an as, as an edge rusher. And at 280 pounds, you go, wait a second, he's an edge rusher? Yeah, I think he's a versatile dude. I think there are a lot of things you can do with him. You can rush him from the outside. I think he can play on the inside. He's strong enough to hold the point of attack. He is bendy and twitchy enough to rush from the edge. I think he is a versatile piece. And I start thinking, man, at 12, man, I think I have him like 15 or 16 in the Harris 100 after seeing him up close and then mm -hmm. studying him over the weekend. What was he before? Before before you went well, to Mobile, I, I'll be honest. He had spent all his time at Old Dominion. So when he went to Georgia Tech, no, I'm saying where was he in your uh, Harris 100 before? That, that's what I'm saying. I didn't have him ranked in my summer 100. Got it, got it. So and I had I hadn't done my final. In fact, I'm say final. My second version. Um, and I'll be honest, I didn't have Tyree Wilson either because I had said I saw a lot from Wyatt Wilson in 2021, but I want to I want to see it in 2022. Well, by September, I was like, okay, I've seen enough. And then continue to watch. He got better. He got more explosive. I mean, it was just so Wilson just became to me a, a top eight guy. I think I got him at six, maybe five, five or six. I think he's a shade after Miles Murphy. But you have so many edge players. I just feel like there's going to be a run on them. And if you end up getting the quarterback at two, could I see Jordan Addison, Quentin Johnson? Absolutely. Uh, there's there's no doubt. But when I think about man, who who could be game changing? I think that I think Keon White is the type of guy that could be game changing yeah. for that defense with all he could do. All right, that's your guy on defense. Yeah, Keon White, and you you raised my eyebrow yeah. saying that earlier today that that's who your your guy twelve would be. Now on the offensive side of the ball, there's a quarterback. Oh yeah, who jumped off the page at you? Yeah, bring it in Mobile, and you think he's going to go pretty high, and it's Fresno State's Jake Hayner, and I like what you wrote about him. It was stop and go, and there were lots of, you know, just fits and, and starts and stuff yeah. across the board offensively from the quarterbacks. But when this guy got in, passes got completed, mm -hmm. the chains moved, and he got the offense rolling. Yeah. He was kind of the lone, lone gun in that regard right. at the quarterback position. What would you like most about Jake Hayner? Well, it's funny because when I, when I did my 2021 summer Harris 100, I put Hayner in at – uh, like 90-something. Um, because I, I I don't know how... I, I was looking at... When I when I try and find... Okay, what players do I not know about? So I just literally went to the stats. Like, okay, who threw for a lot of yards? The quarterback listing. Who had a great quarterback rating? And I'm like, man, Hayner was top five. I'm like, ah, okay, I gotta... All right, let me, let me watch this guy. I immediately... Wow. I'm like, way short, though. Well, he's six foot. But that's short, but he's going to be taller, I think, than Bryce Young. And he's six foot, 200 pounds. And so I'm like, but man, he's got that kind of gunslinger arm slot thing. I mean, he could drop it, but boy, the ball comes out quick. I'm like, boy, I like this guy. So he goes into 2021. He had, a, he, was, he was tremendous. He had a comeback winning at UCLA. And I'm like, Jake Hayner, this guy, this guy can play. Mm -hmm. He can absolutely play. And then 2021 goes well. But I'm thinking, is he going to come out for the draft? So I prepared. You know, I'm thinking, you know, he's probably, you know, somewhere between 90 to 100. But doesn't, he doesn't come out and decide he's going to transfer. He's going to go back to Washington because his coach, Kalen DeBoer, went from Fresno State to Washington. So he's going to go with him, and then he came back. And I'm like, is there something going on? And he got banged up a little bit. So I'm like, mm. So I wasn't totally sold. Like, all right, what's going to happen in 2022? I still had him in the Harris 100. Then he gets hurt against USC, like second or third game in. Fresno State loses to UConn. They lost two other games. I'm like, what is going on? Hayner comes back, and they run the table. 
Hmm. They run the table. I'm like, okay, there's something there. He's got a bunch of really good receivers, but he gets rid of the football. He's quick. So we go to the Senior Bowl. And the first two days of the Senior Bowl, offensively, whenever you get the team, it's a cluster, you know what. <laughs> Balls are flying everywhere. I mean, it's all over the place. Yet when Hayner comes in, he takes his drop, and it's not all checkdowns. It's like he's hitting the digs. There was one play where there was a bad snap, a ton of bad snaps, a ton, because there's some guys playing center for the first time. So it's a bad snap. So the center thinks Hayner's under center, so he kind of dribbles it. Hayner is in shotgun. He sees the ball. He goes down and he gets it. As the rush is coming at him, and of course, you know, offensive line giving way. So offensive line almost step on him. He gets the ball. He takes a quick two-step drop at the same time as he's dropping, finding a receiver and just zip. I mean, just zipped it out of his hand. Hmm. I was like, what? Ain't got it complete. And I thought, wow. So he got the, he got the senior bowl MVP, which accolades, stuff like that, don't matter too much. Yeah, it's more about the week of practice than the, than the game. But he... Got the ball to receivers and tight ends beyond the checkdown routes. He made some dime dropping throws. Now he missed a couple of throws down the field. He missed, you know, there were a couple where he he missed. But when he had the ball in his hands, passes got complete. The offense moved, and you could see the receivers visibly. When other quarterbacks were in, like, pointless. Yeah. But when he was under center, they got their routes. It's like tighten up. It was like everything just tightened up. And so I debated on the way home as I drove home, like, you know, got seven and a half, eight hours to go. It ended up being nine because of stops and all that and food. Anyways, and I'm like, do I put Hainer in the top 40? Do I put Hainer in the top 45? Do I put Hainer in front of Will Levis? Well, no, he's small enough. I thought, you know, Bryce Young's small, too. In fact, he'll probably measure smaller than Hayner. And I like everything there is to, about Jake Hayner. And I couldn't get there because Levis is supremely talented. But I ended up putting Hayner, when I, when I put together my Harris 100, he's going to end up being, I think, number 55 or 56. Wow. And that might shock some people. Like, boy, he's got a second-round grade. I got a second-round, solid second-round grade on Jake that? Hayner. And I start thinking about just his toughness and how Fresno State played without him, how Fresno State played with him, how at the senior bowl things went without him, how things went with him. Look, he's ain't, he ain't perfect, and he's got some gunslinger to him now. But I'd want that sucker under center for sure because I think there are some things you could do in the boot game. I think about the, you know, a Kubiak-Shannon offense, which I don't know if we'll have here. We don't know that yet. It feels like it's trending that way. Jake Hanner's the type of guy that could go in there, and a lot of people have compared him to Brock Purdy. A lot of people. And I think Hanner's more than. I think he is more than. I think he's got better arm talent. Um, I think he's even got a little bit more grit. Um, and I think that he – that's why I put him second. I don't so I don't even compare him to Brock Purdy. Purdy was Mr. Relevant. He was the last pick. Did people miss? Yeah, we probably all missed a little bit. My comp for, for him was Tyrod Taylor. That That's who I thought Brock Purdy was. I'm not totally sure who I – oh, I have – for Jake Hayner, I have the good Baker Mayfield. Because when you see the good Baker Mayfield, that's what you see with Jake Hayner. So that's my comp for him. Um, and I'm probably going to stick to it because I think that's the kind of player. That's who he reminds me of without some of the off-the-field stuff. So I'm curious to see what his rise is like. But I'm absolutely convinced he's in the top five of my quarterbacks in this draft class. Son of a gun. Good stuff, as always, from John Harris talking about the Senior Bowl. Johnny, that was fun. Next week, let's chit-chat a little bit about a book I just finished. Ooh. 
A book about, you finished? About Bo Jackson. I read the book. I didn't write the book. Oh, is it Jeff Perlman's book? It's really good. Man. Oh, man. Really, I can't, I can't really, wait to read that. Really, really good. I love Perlman's books, man. I love Perlman. So, so That's good. That's awesome. You know what? I think I might interview Perlman and if he's up for it. And uh, we could splice in some stuff from hit the, the interview. That would be awesome. Yeah. That'd be very cool. All right. That's a little project I'm going to work on. If you're listening, Jeff, I'm coming for you, bro. 